From the European Broadcasting Union in Geneva, this is the Eurovision News Podcast. Today is UNESCO World Radio Day. As we celebrate 100 years of radio this year, it's been praised as the most trusted and dependable form of media in the world. In times of emergencies or conflicts, radio even becomes a lifeline for the population. What makes radio so special in these situations? How do we ensure access to verified and factual information? And what are the challenges to come for the next century? This is Laurent Fratt, producer and host of this episode. To answer these questions, I speak with two guests today. Silla Banko, Director General of Swedish Radio and Vice President of the EBU Executive Board, and Ibrahim Abdelbaki, Gaza Lifeline Service Editor, a BBC Action radio program that provides people in Gaza with daily information and a platform for their voices to be heard. Thank you so much for joining us today. Could I ask you to introduce yourself and your work? Well, thank you very much for letting me be part of this. I'm Silla Benko. I'm the Director General of the Swedish Radio and uh, also actually the Vice President of the EBU. So we're talking today ahead of World Radio Day and UNESCO recently released a joint statement could you tell us why organizations are coming to a joint initiative at an international level? Well, uh, frankly, uh, I think it's because uh, radio is a medium that deserves the attention. It's a medium that is very easy to access and uh, we have a lot of listeners all over the world. And radio has also the ability to bring very many voices and many different perspectives uh, onto a broad audience, which is important today. Experience has also taught us that uh, radio has a very vital role to play, uh, especially in a time of crisis or when there is an uh, emergency. Because uh, radio, uh, compared to everything else, can actually broadcast even in the most challenging times. For example, if there is no electricity uh, or if the mobile phone system is out, uh, then uh, you still need to, to reach the audience with something. And then uh, you can always broadcast radio uh, because we have an infrastructure that works and we have also radio receivers that works without electricity. Uh, so when you have an electrical failure, you will not be able to use your mobile phone, your computer or your television set, but you will always be able to use your radio. So therefore we have a very important role to play, both for humanity and for democracy as a whole. And that's why we need this attention, I think. Yes, agreed. Uh, I mean, we've seen over the past few years, uh, many conflicts erupting. And um, what specifically do you see like, um, um, how radio can play in these situations. We've seen Ukraine, for example, uh, relying heavily on their radio. Um, do you have any examples from your own experience in Sweden uh, where radio has been used in emergency situations? Well, the advantage of radio is uh, that it's always very flexible uh, and it's always very fast and, to be honest, also quite easy to produce. Uh, so in an instant we can be up and running broadcasting and uh, you were mentioning Ukraine and, and when we had the Russian invasion of Ukraine uh, in just a couple of minutes we were up and running. Uh, we have a channel P1 that is uh, speech only, only news and current affairs and we were broadcasting live 48 hours without sort of basically no notice whatsoever. And we got half a million new listeners uh, over that period of time uh, and they were new listeners. They didn't come from another radio channel because 
but we didn't lose any uh, in the other radio channels that we have and the commercial radio didn't lose any either so these were basically people that tuned into the radio receiver because they wanted to to know what was going on in the Ukraine so that is of course one very very strong argument for radio that it's easy flexible and fast uh, and another thing is as as uh, we have discovered over the last years uh, and which was very very helpful during the pandemic is that we have a technology that uh, makes it sort of possible for a journalist to broadcast from anywhere everywhere uh, kind of you don't even need to go into a facility you don't need to have a, a radio building you don't need to have a proper studio uh, because we have a technology nowadays that makes us extremely flexible that we have developed on our own and and uh, in close cooperation between our technical department our editorial staff and of course our IT experts so that's another reason for for us and then the third thing is that uh, especially public service radio we have a, a very important role to play, I think, as the impartial voice. Uh, we're, we're once again talking about wars. Uh, we can report from a heated conflict, uh, being still impartial. Uh, we have 7.3 million listeners in a country of 10 million people. That says something, I think. Uh, uh, we have a large, huge amount of the Swedes that are tuning into us every day. And that makes us a sort of a, a gathering place for people uh, with a lot of different backgrounds and with a lot of different views. Uh, and I really, truly believe that that is important uh, because we need for a well-functioning democracy that you have so, such a melting pot where you are actually forced to listen to someone else who have a different view and we're not trying to convince people what to think or what to do, but we want them to at least listen to each other and, and share experiences. And, and I think that's what impartiality is about. Um, speaking of impartiality... Um Studies have repeatedly shown that radio is the most trusted medium, uh, with citizens rating it above television, social networks, or written press. Why do you think that is? Well, uh, I cannot speak of everybody, of course, but I can look at my own organization. I think we have extremely high trust figures. And that is, I think, because, first of all, the content we produce, that it's reliable, but also that we are truly uh, in Sweden, the media company that are most present in, in the entire country. We have a lot of local radio stations. We have a lot of reporters out there on the ground, very close to the population, which means that we give air to different voices and different perspectives, both in our regular programming, but also in our podcasts. And I think that's absolutely key uh, to, to earning the, the audience trust that they actually feel that they're part of what we are doing. Uh, and of course, the content needs to be relevant. And uh, as a public service company, again, impartial, uh, they should get the information that they need from us. But once again, we shouldn't tell them what to think or what to do. And then I also think that uh, if you really want to be a trusted radio company or a media company overall, you need to have a broad remit. Uh, you need to realize that it's not only about news and, and, and current affairs. It's also important that you provide entertainment, that you provide sports, other things that are relevant for people in their in their daily life. Because if you have more and more people that feel that they have something that gives them a personal value by listening to your content, whether it's a podcast or it's a, a regular linear radio broadcast, then they will most likely come back to you and tune back to you and the higher... Ratings you have, the, the higher possibilities, of course, uh, it is also to get higher trust figures. That is kind of closely connected. Hmm. Back to the, the joint statement from UNESCO. Um, 
I'm going to read from it here, but it says that cars are a particular concern, consistently among the most popular locations for radio listening. Whether it is terrestrial broadcast or internet radio, in car, radio in cars should not just be easy to find, it must be impossible to miss. This is a, a very bold statement coming from the radio industry. Uh, what gives you such confidence to claim this space? Well, if you look at what is sort of most popular nowadays among especially young audiences, it is not text, it's not video, it's actually to listen to things. So we have really gained grounds. I, I remember when I started as a DJ, which is more than 10 years ago, then people were saying, why do you want to be a DJ in a, in a company, where, company where everything is going to die very soon? Uh, and we haven't died. Uh, we have flourished since. And I think uh, audio and radio is more important than ever uh, among the public. But uh, besides that, also we could see that we still have a very, very important role to play in the car. We thought that, I mean, we are the home country of Spotify. We we thought that Spotify would sort of kill us in the car. It hasn't, uh, not at all. Uh, Spotify is a very small player, actually, when it comes to uh, car commuting in Sweden. And we are very, very strong still. People want and prefer to listen to linear radio when they sit in a car, not to a podcast and not to Spotify and not only to their music playlists. So that also makes it uh, very, very important that the car industry understands that we are a vital part of being in a car and feel comfortable in a car. And that's we are uh, maybe a bit cocky and, and, and making this bold statement. And uh, for us, it's easy. I mean, it's it's very important that we really, really strive to give, give um, the audience the content uh, and the listeners the content that they want to have at a given time and place. And, and, and in the morning or in the evening when people commute, they, of course, want more of news updates and things like that. But in other times, they, they stay also because they want, want again to have entertainment, but they don't only want to have music. They also want to have someone that are closely connected to them, the presenter or the news person who comes in, in between the songs. Uh, that actually is a person that is accompanying you in the car. Um, so for us, it, it is uh, very important that we also develop and, and uh, do in sort of try new things when it comes to the, to, to the car experience for the listeners. We have uh, invented something that we call Get Updated in the Car by Swedish Radio, uh, which is a project that actually is uh, on-demand listening. Uh, and you adjust it to the listener uh, by using your GPS positioning. So when you start your car and you click on a button, you get the local traffic that is important for you, uh, wherever you are. Uh, you get the national and international news, you get national updates, and you get uh, weather wherever you are and traffic information. And this is a short uh, on-demand segment. And as soon as that's done and you have listened it through, then you automate automatically, seamlessly, get sort of transferred into a, a linear channel of your choice. So this is a way of sort of combining the old linear radio experience in the car with something that we know that the audience want, something that is, give me a short update whenever I choose to. So when I tune into the car, if it's not on the top of the hour or every half hour, but it's sort of 12 minutes past eight, I still want my update. Then you can get that as an on-demand offering and then you seamlessly sort of get uh, transferred into your linear channel of your choice. So this is something we have been uh, exploring and, 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 and are elaborating with right now, which is one way of taking the car experience further. So we're celebrating 100 years of radio. What do you think will be the challenges in the next century? Oh, wow. Uh, 
there are many. Uh, I mean, the most obvious one is, of course, that we're no longer part of a national media landscape, none of us. I mean, we're all part of a, of a new landscape uh, that is much has a, has a huge competition compared to when I started. I mean, uh, the, the media landscapes uh, are today global. They are very digital. Uh, there are a lot of new players out there. Uh, and there is an explosion of content that you can sort of consume wherever you want to and wherever you are. And uh, so, of course, we have to pay emphasis to being as important in this new digital, which is not new, but the digital global uh, competition as we have been previously for 100 years in, as a primarily analog radio company. And uh, we have to do it with the same money. <laughs> so that is, of course, a huge challenge for us. Uh, but we are really trying to say internally that our goal is to be as important in people's life in a digital context that we have been historically as an analog radio uh, broadcaster started uh, in 1925. The other big challenge is, of course, a challenge that is uh, not only a challenge to the media industry and to the, to the radio industry, it's a challenge to all the entire world at the moment, and everybody's talking about it, it's the development of generative AI. But of course, if you are in the media industry, there are some challenges and we do follow it very, very closely. I hope and I think that journalism have a great role to play here uh, going forward, especially uh, because we can be this counterforce against propaganda against disinformation. Uh, I mean, we see that the AI technology can use for very many good things, but it could also easily be used to, to spread the disinformation uh, and, and deep fakes. And it is, I think, essential for uh, the population and for the listeners going into the future that they know that there are a place to go to where the news are trusted, presented by a human being, <laughs> have been fact-checked and so on. And, and therefore, I think we, can, we even have a more important role to play. Everybody's very hyped now and very excited about generative AI. And so am I. And we are going to use it for our benefit. But I do also think that there will be some senses coming forward here where people will try to say, okay, this is good, but I also need my trusted news source where I know that there is a human being presenting the news that are being fact-checked for me. So I think, we ha I think we have a really great opportunity also here. And then the third challenge I would like to also point out, which is a bit more troublesome, I, I would say, is the importance of uh, keeping our journalists safe. Uh, I mean, we have a huge problem with that, uh, also in a country uh, uh, like Sweden. Uh, the amount of threats, including uh, hate speeches aimed at Swedish uh, radio journalists are just uh, sort of booming, have increased a lot in, in, in recent years uh, and have, of course, another pace now uh, and are growing in the digital landscape, especially when it comes to social media. Uh, so we see a lot of threats and hate speeches uh, primarily online. Uh, and that it's, it is really, really important that we create awareness among the society that this is going on and that everyone has an uh, individual obligation, actually, to, to, to protect uh, the field and the profession of a journalist. Because if you uh, silence a journalist, you don't only silence the journalist, you also silence the person who is asking the questions that needs to be asked for a well-functioning democracy. So it has a much, much broader impact uh, than the, the hate speech or the threats uh, themselves toward, towards a, a specific person. Is there anything that you'd like to say to the journalists or heads of news departments listening to this? <laughs> well, plenty of things, uh, but I, I think uh, we have had a really good discussion, but I think also that we 
we have to remember that we are we are in the midst of a transformation. Uh, I mean, we don't know what's uh, sort of around the corner, but we are coming out of a very, very strong position. Uh, as I said before, People told me 10 years ago that nobody would use their ears only, you, that you needed to have video if you wanted to be important on the market. That's not true. That has not been proven true. It's been proven very wrong. Uh, and we see that a lot of other companies, media companies, but also the church or, or the civil society are producing audio because they see it as, as a mean of reaching, especially a young audience. So we should have uh, very much of self-confidence. Uh, we know how to create great content. Uh, we know how to be an impartial news uh, broadcaster, but we also know, know how to do light entertainment and how to do really good live sports broadcasting. Uh, and all of this gives us an advantage. We have the content and we know how to produce audio. We have done this for a hundred years and we are there to conquer the market. Celia Banco, thanks so much for your time and sharing your expertise. Thank you very much. We now hear from Ibrahim Abdelbaki, Gaza Lifeline Service Editor. We're speaking to you in the context of World Radio Day and the need for radio in times of crisis. Uh, before we get started with your operation, um, could you introduce yourself? Yes, of course. Uh, my name is Ibrahim Abdelbaki. I am the Gaza Lifeline uh, Service Editor. Okay. Could you tell us a little bit about Gaza Lifeline? Yes, of course. Uh, in November 2023, BBC Arabic has launched Gaza Lifeline. Serbs, it wasn't the first time, actually, for BBC Arabic to launch this uh, kind of service. Uh, in May 2023, BBC Arabic started an emergency service to deal with the dire humanitarian situation in Sudan. Uh, the program called Peace for Sudan, and uh, actually it lasted uh, for about six months. Uh, Gaza Lifeline uh, program, or Gaza Today, is a special daily program concerned with the humanitarian situation in Gaza and developments on the ground. We produce two 30-minute episodes daily. The first comes out from Cairo at 6 GMT, and the second comes from London at uh, 3 p.m. Uh, our main target audience are people in Gaza, who can listen to the program on medium wave. So our radio program focuses on three key elements. Military update, humanitarian, humanitarian updates, tips and voices of the people, complemented by independent analysis when necessary. For the military situation in Gaza, the information is very crucial for the safety of the people giving them an un understanding of what is happening around them. We also provide information on medical services within Gaza and the overall health situation of the people. We feature local doctors or representatives from international aid agencies who provide insights into the medical challenges faced by the people in Gaza. We also provide practical tips on daily paces to help stay to help people stay safe and assist others at the same time for example we offer guidance on how to deal with wounds fractures 
handling of corpses as well, handling with people under rebels, under debris, uh, and Additionally, we provide information on coping with food shortages and accessing clean water. We amplify the voices of people in gas. We give a platform of displaced individuals, the injured, those calling for help, and those searching for their loved ones. We also share the stories of patients and others affected by the situation. So we are giving the whole information about the dire situation in Gaza on both military and humanitarian situations. Understood. And uh, is it your staff that is conducting interviews and Vox Pops uh, on location? Or who are the journalists that you're working with? So my staff in London and Cairo are gathering the stories, uh, interviewing people, uh, uh, establish uh, a network of uh, people in Gaza, doctors, civil servants, uh, paramedics, and ordinary, pe- ordinary people as well. So the staff is doing everything. I read recently on an AFP article that the sales of radios were gone through the roof uh, in Gaza. Uh, everyone is trying to get their hands on a radio. And while this may sound obvious to you, what is it about radio? A radio... Yeah, yeah, it's, it's very important, actually, especially in these circumstances that the people live in, in Gaza. There is no uh, internet, there is no TV station, nothing. Uh, the people uh, are eager to uh, have information about what is going on around them. Radio, this uh, traditional small one, which works with battery, is the best way for people to have uh, information. Uh, And we have uh, actually uh, got many accounts from people directly because we are dealing with them uh, most of the times on WhatsApp and they have their own ways to to have uh, internet and uh, and other communication. Uh, And they are eager to, to, to listen to radio. And they, they actually sent us many pictures depicting them while they are listening to radio. So it was very uh, important uh, and uh, out of our uh, commitment, our out of uh, BBC uh, commitment to their audience that they have to launch uh, a pop-up service, a radio a service to reach p- the people anywhere, especially inside Gaza. That's really interesting. I was going to ask how you measure your reach and impact, but you're getting direct feedback from the listeners themselves. Are there any of those stories or messages that you've received that really stand out to you? Actually, as you might know, the radio has its traditional uh, way to have stats. Uh, But uh, given the circumstances in Gaza, there is no way to do the stats in traditional way. You can say that we measure uh, the reach and impact manually and through direct contact with people in gas, including journalists who gave us a positive uh, reaction and response for our output in Gaza. Additionally, we've got partners in both West Bank, as I mentioned before, and Lebanon, who are keen to have uh, the program on their schedule on daily basis, which reflects uh, the need of people to listen to us. And our content is everywhere around the place in uh, BBC Arabic, 
and wider BBC, BBC languages because we became the primary source, actually, of the people's voices of Gaza. And this is radio. And this is how the radio uh, can do in this uh, period of technology. People is fast. Uh, sorry, radio is fast. Radio is cheap. Radio can reach anyone anytime. Uh, radio can get uh, audio content, which could be reversioned to uh, other types or other models of, of, of media. Uh, for example, we do articles uh, for the online page, uh, building on the voices itself. We do uh, video packages, digital pieces, uh, and we are uh, the fastest and we are more uh, reachable than any outlets now in under these uh, certain circumstances. What are some of your challenges in the operational side at the moment? <laughs> uh, actually, uh, a lot uh, uh, of challenges faced us at the beginning and we still face more challenges. Basically, uh, launching a new radio service, service is a challenging endeavor, particularly following the closure of Arabic radio in January 27-2023. Starting from scratch, we had to conduct extensive communication efforts on multiple levels with various platforms and partners both within and outside of the PPC to ensure all the logistics needs are met. One of the most difficult aspects was assembling a team with the necessary expertise and experience to handle lifeline program as it requires a specific format, distinctive content and innovative ways to reach people on the ground in unprecedented circumstances. The challenge is also editorially because ah, the program's editorial aspects are slight, are highly challenging. Uh, and there are significant difficulties in reaching people on the ground. As I mentioned, sometimes it takes hours for the team to establish contact with individuals due to severe communication disruptions in Gaza. It is also a highly sensitive situation where you have to verify all the information you get from the ground in different ways. You have to follow up Arabic media and, and foreign media. You have to follow up what uh, is published on social media to know what is going on. You as an editor, you have to have a very global view for what, what is happening with the ground, what is happening in the north and south and in central in central Gaza and different places and and you have to be there all the time aware and focus of what is going on just to to, to you have to sign off all the 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 material which will go on uh, on air uh, and as I, I told you it's, it's very uh, sensitive uh, however we rely most on reliable sources like the international aid agencies uh, accounts and they give us a uh, first-hand information on the humanitarian situation. We are in, in good contact and communications on daily basis 
with the, those international organizations like ICRC, uh, WHO, uh, OCHA, and of course, uh, UNRWA. And on the ground, BBC still have some of its crew working actually, but for security and safety reasons, as you might know, they are not available all the time. So we should have our own sources and we really manage to form a large network of contributors, doctors, paramedics, civil workers, and others. Are there any stories about the operation itself that really stand out in your mind? Uh, yes, there are uh, tens of stories, actually. Most of them are appalling, horrific, and sometimes beyond the imagination. Uh, I myself, as an editor, I have to balance and navigate between myself as a journalist and as a human being. Uh, sometimes when I listen to some stories, honestly, I shed tears. But I try to control myself as much as I can because you can't imagine how much it is for more two than two million people live under unprecedented circumstances. A way of the conflict, a way of the uh, parts that are involved within the conflict. We are dealing with people all the time. We are dealing with their sufferings. We are dealing with their dreams. Uh, and this is our, our object to reach people to let them express themselves to let them to let their voices heard all over the world because they are human being they have nothing to do with the ongoing conflict actually uh, one of the shocking uh, story which i've just listened and and viewed uh, about 30 minutes ago for a father who told us uh, his son's story. His child is uh, a 10-year-old boy who suffers from cerebral palsy, uh, an impairment in the, in, the, in, the, in the brain, and he needs uh, a permanent oxygen tube to stay alive. Uh, one day, uh, the family uh, was living in Al Shugaya in, in, in Gaza City, and there were uh, a heavy bombardment, heavy bombing, and they received uh, calls from the Israeli army to move because this place is not safe, and they can move to other place in the central Gaza nearby. And the 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 man and uh, his family. He uh, carried his, his, his baby on his shoulder with one hand, and with the other hand, he carried an oxygen tube. And if you might know that main streets in, in Gaza are under control of uh, Israeli patrols and Israeli checkpoints, and they supervise the, the, the moving of the people or the migration of the people to other places. 
but there are uh, very strict orders. You you should never move. You should never pick up anything from the ground. You should you should never get back for for a few steps to to hold someone. Uh, and when he he passes by the the checkpoint, the uh, he lost the the oxygen tube. It was dropped on the ground, and he was trying to pick it up, but people shouted at him, "No, no, don't, 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 don't! You'll be injured. Don't! They will shoot you. Don't, don't do that." So uh, he complied with 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 their shouts, and he moved forward. And uh, lastly, he uh, found a tent. In uh, Shahada Al-Aqsa Hospital, you know, people are getting shelter near the hostels to get warm, to get internet, to get uh, some food or something like this. And for for a few days, his uh, his uh, son was there without oxygen, and lastly, he died. And he sent us his son's picture, and. Uh, I, I don't know how 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 to say it, but it was, but it was it was very very shocking. But, or however, you have to deal with it as a journalist, to verify, to know what he exactly mentioned, what point he was in. You have to have a knowledge about the places of the uh, Israeli patrols and checkpoints just to verify what he said, you know. And, but after all of this, you can use this uh, this story and you can let it uh, go on air. So uh, people are, are suffering actually a lot. And we are trying hard as Gaza Lifeline serves Gaza today to communicate with people and to let their voices heard uh, all over the places, all over the world, or any anywhere they can reach. Very challenging work. Ibrahim, thank you for sharing your time and your personal account of uh, the work you're doing. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you would like to hear more, please consider subscribing, leaving a review, and telling a friend about us. This is Laurent Fratt, producer of the podcast. The music was created by Mickey Curling, and Martin Lonesser took care of the sound. Thank you from all of us.